everyone. Welcome back to session nine of our Colossian study. I'm so glad you're here today. So I believe this letter to the Colossians, written by Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has a basic framework. And I believe the framework of Colossians can best be summed up this way. First, God tells us who we are as Christians, that we've been redeemed, our sins have been forgiven, and we've been made alive with Christ and we're dearly loved. Then he goes on to describe who Christ is, that he is God, creator and supreme authority over all things. He then tells us how we are to live in light of this information, with kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. And now he moves on to how we as Christians should relate to others in our homes and workplaces. So let's read Colossians chapter 3, verse 18 through 4.1, and I'm reading from the CSB. Wives, submit yourself to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. Masters, deal with your slaves justly and fairly, since you know that you too have a master in heaven. Okay, so I'm sure many of you are familiar with this situation. I dropped my phone the other day, and I cracked the screen. So, obviously, I'm not going to take it to a car mechanic to get it fixed. I'm going to take it to a place that knows phones. Well, God knows families. He created them, and they are important to him. I mean, think about it. What was the first social institution ever created? It wasn't a government, not a club or an organization, not even a church. God created the family first. So here in verses 18 through 21, we see God's instructions to families that wives should submit to their husbands. Husbands should love their wives. Children should obey their parents. God also gives instructions to families in Ephesians chapter 5, 1 Corinthians 7, and in 1 Peter 3. So clearly God takes families very seriously. I believe the family unit is the foundation upon which our society is built. And who created it? God himself. So doesn't logic dictate that if God created the family, then he would know the best way for families to function? So why are we listening to the abundance of voices out there telling us how to do family instead of to the one who created them? Now, are God's ways countercultural? Absolutely. The world says forcing children to obey crushes their creativity and will. Husbands can't love only one woman. And women lose their autonomy and individuality by submitting to their husbands. But that's just not true. I mean, this whole idea of submission in our culture has become synonymous with weakness. I believe over time this word submission has gained an unwelcome partner, oppression. That if a person is submitting to another, it's only because they're being oppressed in some way. But that is not at all what Paul is talking about when he says that wives should submit to husbands. 
Philippians 2.8 says that even Christ submitted himself to God. And frankly, if it's good enough for Jesus, then it's good enough for me. And notice what it says in verse 18. Wives, submit to your husband. Meaning that out of obedience to God, wives choose to place themselves under their own husband's leadership. Out of honor and love for their God. Now, this is not a directive that all men, oh, excuse me, all women are to be in sub subjection to all men. What we're talking about here is within the confines of the family unit. And wives should submit to their husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, from the Greek, that means to come up to or to arrive. So by willingly placing ourselves under the leadership of our own husbands, we're actually rising up to what God desires for us. But as is fitting in the Lord also means that wives should follow their husband's lead as long as it does not conflict with the commands of Scripture. Now in verse 19, it tells us that husbands should love their wives and not be bitter or harsh towards them. Husbands are to exercise loving leadership, not dominion. Ephesians 5.25 tells us that husbands should love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So who has the taller order here? Who has the harder job? I mean, husbands are supposed to sacrifice themselves, their desires to show love for their wives. You see, each person within the family unit has a role to fill. 1 Corinthians 14.40 says that all things should be done decently and in order. And this is God's order. Because God knows that husbands need the respect of their wives. Wives need the love of their husbands, and children need to learn obedience. And none of these things come naturally to us, or we wouldn't need to be commanded to do them. So when each person fulfills their role within the family, the way God intended it, it's actually a form of ministry. When I willfully choose to submit to my husband, I'm serving the Lord by ministering to him. And when he shows sacrificial love for me, he is bringing glory to God by ministering to me. And all of this is a testimony. It's a testimony to a lost world about who God is. In verse 20 and 21 says that children need to obey their parents in everything for this pleases the Lord and fathers should not exasperate their children so that they don't become discouraged. Now, it's important to note here that I believe in order for parents to properly discipline their children, I think they themselves must be properly disciplined. I mean, if a father and mother are not under any kind of authority themselves, how can they be an authority over someone else? And by teaching our children obedience, we're actually teaching them how to be good parents one day. Luke 2.51 tells us that even Jesus was obedient to his parents. In verse 19, it says fathers shouldn't exasperate, um, irritate, or provoke their children. You see, in the first century... The fathers were the main disciplinarians in the home, and they were often prone to misusing their authority. But I believe that there are other ways that parents can exasperate their children. I think not setting proper boundaries, not setting clear boundaries for our children can also cause exasperation. I mean, parents are hearing so many conflicting messages about how to be good parents. It can be difficult to know where proper boundaries should be set. And this can cause irritation, discouragement, and frustration with our kids. 
Ephesians 6, 4 says, bring up your children with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Proverbs 1, 8 says, don't forsake your mother's teaching. Listen to your father's instructions. So parents should be teaching and giving instruction to their children that is from the Lord. Now, incidentally, if you're thinking, well, you know what? My children are adults now. I'm an adult. My parents are elderly. So these verses really don't don't apply to me any longer. Well, I don't see a statute of limitations here. I mean, even if we are adults, there is always wisdom to be gained from our parents. And they still deserve our respect and obedience, even now. And there is always sound wisdom and guidance that we can offer our children, even if they are adults with children of their own. So in verse 22 through chapter 4, verse 1, Paul moves on to the roles of slaves and masters. And it says, Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly from the Lord, fearing the Lord. Masters, deal with your slaves justly and fairly, since you know that you too have a master in heaven. Now, at the time of this writing, over half of the Roman Empire was made up of slaves, around 60 million people. Now, that the fact that Paul is telling slaves to obey their masters and telling masters to deal with their slaves justly and fairly, this does not mean that God is condoning slavery. I mean, just look back at what he said in verse 11. In God's kingdom, there is no slave and free. But Paul knows that this is not the proper platform to call for an uprising. I mean, that is not what will help the gospel move forward. And frankly, the gospel is not about political and social revolt. It's about saving sinners and transforming lives. The gospel is about Jesus sacrificing himself on a cross for the sins of humankind, not about overthrowing the government. Following the gospel message is about being obedient to God in whatever situation we find ourselves. And in this case, it's slavery and allowing God to change things from within one life at a time. And just because Paul isn't calling for revolt here, that doesn't mean that God doesn't have revolution in mind. But God's method is much different than ours. We begin a revolution by living for God within our culture. Now, scholars believe that the principles mentioned here about slaves and masters, that it can also be applied to Christian employers and employees. So we must do our best in our current situation, knowing that God sees us. I mean, remember what verse 23 and 24 say, whatever you do, do it from the heart is something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. I mean, I'm sure that the slaves mentioned here probably felt invisible, unappreciated, unaccepted, as if they weren't doing anything meaningful with their lives. There are times that I have felt this way, but these verses give us a new and fresh perspective on how to do our work. If we do our work for the Lord, then suddenly our work has value. 1 Peter 2.12 in the NIV says, Live such good lives among the pagans that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. We can bring honor and glory to our great God, even in the most menial of tasks. If we live according to these principles, then we will be rewarded. 
Matthew 16, 27 says, For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels, and he will reward each according to what he has done. When we focus on honoring God in our work, then we become better workers. Therefore, we will attract attention, which provides opportunities to share the gospel. Not only are we motivated to work to the best of our ability out of our love for Jesus, but we are assured that whatever mistreatment we suffer at the hands of others will be accounted for. Verse 25 tells us, For the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done. There is no favoritism. God will punish wrongdoing. No matter who is doing the wrong, there is no favoritism. So, we can't say, you know, I'm really down on my luck. I'm really having a hard time. I'm really struggling right now, so I'm justified in committing this sin. I'm justified in treating others harshly because I am being treated harshly. No, we must trust that in his perfect timing, God will reward his followers and punish his rejectors. So, what's the best way to follow God? By asking him to change our circumstances or asking him to help us live for him in the midst of our circumstances? Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray for change. I mean, God tells us to cast all our cares upon him, and sometimes he does change them. But what about when he doesn't? I recently read the story about Petr Jasic, who in 2015 traveled to Sudan as part of his work with Voice of the Martyrs, and he traveled there on a fact-finding trip. But this trip led to 445 days in a Sudanese prison facing torture and persecution. And this is what he says. I was forced to sit on the floor for hours at a time with my legs crossed as my cellmates pretended to be a team of interrogators questioning me about my Christian activity in Sudan. Whenever I gave them an answer they didn't like, they pummeled me with their fists. I was beaten with the end of a broom handle. Each lash sent shocks of excruciating pain through my torso, and I gritted my teeth under the blows. Sometimes I was beaten so mercilessly that I didn't think I would survive another day. Not a day went by that I was not assaulted and tormented by my ISIS cellmates. Surprisingly, as my torture increased, my mind grew more and more calm. No longer was I worried about my family back home or my Sudanese brothers imprisoned with me. In fact, during this season of physical suffering, I could not think of my family at all. I placed them at the altar and could only exalt the name of Jesus over them. The Lord gave me a special grace, not only to share the gospel with my cellmates, but also to live the gospel among them. I knew it was not my old self, but that it was Christ in me who enabled me to do that. When my cellmates saw that I consistently refused to retaliate against their attacks, their hatred and aggression grew even stronger. But I knew that we as Christians are supposed to love our enemies, to do good to those who hate us, and to bless those who curse us, and to pray for those who abuse us. Luke 6:27. In fact, Christianity is the only religion that teaches its followers to love their enemies. Through these experiences, horrific as they were, I was beginning to see a clearer picture of Jesus Christ, who was also beaten and bruised. Each time I was slapped, punched, kicked, or ridiculed, I thought of Christ and what he patiently endured at the hands of the Roman soldiers. You see, inner transformation, that is what God is after. 
and it is vastly more important to him than our outer circumstances. And the thing is, if we keep our hearts devoted to Jesus and our eyes focused on him, then our current circumstances will not appear so dire. I mean, one cannot imagine bleaker circumstances than what Petr Jasek was forced to endure. Yet his heart was at peace in the midst of it. Now, in closing, our challenge question is, are you living under the circumstances or over them? Are we believing the wisdom from verse 23 that says true peace comes from living for the Lord and not from pleasing people? And we can live in peace in any circumstance, even with difficult family members and even through difficulties in our jobs, if we entrust ourselves to Jesus. Thank you so much for joining me today. God bless you.